Amen. Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you would, uh, grab your Bibles if you have them or grab your device. The words will be on the screen. We're going to be in Exodus chapters 11 and 12 this morning. If you've been with us for a while, we've been journeying through the plagues, uh, and it's been... uh, We've, we've spent months and we've just seen God's grace, we've seen God's pursuit, we've seen all these wonderful things, and we come to the final plague here this morning in God's word in Exodus 11 and 12. And so Exodus 11, we're not going to have time to read all of it. I want to encourage you um, to go back and read it, or maybe you're reading along with us as you journey with us, but go back and read 11 and 12 in its entirety. We're not going to have time to read all of those verses, but we're going to look at uh, some of these amazing themes that are found in 11 and 12. And so Exodus 11 is the plague sort of threatened, and it's the, the final plague, the plague of the death of the firstborn. And then Exodus 12 shows us Uh, in these amazing ways, in this shadow of really what's to come in the fulfillment of our Lord Jesus Christ, of how to escape the plague of death that's coming on the land of Egypt. And we then see uh, what's called the Passover and the story of the Passover. Many of you have heard that word, and this is where we see this instituted in God's instruction for his people during this final plague of God sending his judgment on the Egyptian people and their false gods. So what we see here is, we, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say some things and we're gonna see some verses and we're just gonna begin to walk through Exodus 11 and 12 and see all that God is doing. Um, and I want us to know it's, it's no mistake that we, uh, we waited patiently through these plagues as we were preaching through Exodus to get to these next few weeks as we celebrate Good Friday and we celebrate Resurrection Sunday because there are so many beautiful themes that we are going to see highlighted even in these texts in the Old Testament as we see the fulfillment of all of these things, the plague of death and the redemption of God's people found in our Lord Jesus Christ are rooted right here in Exodus 11. And, 12. and so we're going to be camped in these passages for the next few weeks and in our Good Friday service. Um, but Exodus 11 and 12, this is, their, this is a crisis moment. So everything has been building and building and building. These plagues have become more and more severe. God is trying to wake up the Egyptians to their, fo- to their idolatry and their worship as fo- of, of false gods. And so everything is ramping up. And it's going to be ramping up so much so that there will be that night and the plague of the death of the firstborn, a great cry that goes out, the text tells us, in Exodus chapter 12. And it's these cries of mourning and weeping because judgment has fallen and death has come upon the land of Egypt. And it's this crisis moment because for the Egyptians, it's a night that's described of, you could consider a national disaster, national destruction. Everything has been building up to this moment as we've been journeying through Exodus. But for that same night, the people of God, God's people, it was a night of deliverance. So on one hand, we had cries of mourning and weeping, and for, the, for another group of people, it was a night of deliverance, it was a night of new beginnings. 
Because that very judgment that visited the homes of the Egyptians passed over the homes of God's people. And they called this the night of the Passover. Because the angel of death had passed over the homes of God's people. And God gave them very specific instructions uh, when the angel of death had passed about a feast to celebrate this occasion of their redemption. And the fact that the angel of death passed over them and saved them. And it's called the feast of the Passover. And in fact, this feast, this Passover meal that they would take that the Lord institutes here in Exodus chapter chapter 12 meant a great deal to Jesus. When you read the Gospels, he is constantly celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And some of his most poignant moments, some of his most significant moments where he's teaching and instructing his disciples are during the Passover meal. We could do a whole sermon series on the the ministry of Jesus in the Passover. There are significant parallels that are happening here. Um, So the original Passover, the one recorded in Exodus, was extraordinary by any measure. And it seemed as if, and it was like God had drawn a line around his own people, as he had continued to do. They were off in Goshen, he had protected them, and so he's going to do a similar thing again. He's almost going to draw this line around his people so that they would be secure from this judgment that would befall them. And so the vital question as we look into Exodus 11 and 12, and as we journey through even some more of these in the weeks to come, is what was it that made God's people secure? What was it? What was, what was it that preserved them from the judgment that was going to befall the entire land of Egypt that night when God sent the angel of death over all the land? Even in Goshen, where God's people were. There wasn't just a geographic region. He said, the angel is coming over all the land. No one is safe but for this one provision. What made God judge some and pass over others? We may, that may sound like an old question rooted in the Old Testament, but isn't that the question that so many people ask today? What, what would... What makes God judge some people and save others? That's the age-old question that so many grapple with. And it's answered for us right here. In Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 11. For we read here in Exodus 11, 11, 11.7 says that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. There is a distinction that God is establishing. So what is this distinction? What is this difference? Now, it's not, it's clearly not a distinction of just merely race and nation. That's not what's happening. Because in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, we read, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike, notice, all, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, And all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, I and the Lord. All. He doesn't make a distinction between race, between nationality, between animal, like man, woman, child, beast, all. All. 
chapter 11, back in verse 5, God gives these words through Moses. And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. This is not a distinction of class and privilege. The firstborn of the one that sits on the throne of the most powerful nation in the known world, the Egyptians, to the very slave girl that runs the handmill. Judgment is coming. It was not distinguished by class, by privilege, by race, by nation, or even religious practice, or genealogy. Exodus 12, 29, we read again, similarly. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and to the firstborn of all the livestock. It doesn't matter what family you've come from. It doesn't matter that you're a really good, moral, upright person. It doesn't matter that you uh, live in a morally upright place, or that you've done all the right things, or that you've said all the right things, or that you have thought all the right things, or that you, whatever it is, all. all. But nonetheless, there is a distinction. God is making a distinction between the Egyptians and his people. God draws the line, and it is described in verses 7 and verse 13 in Exodus chapter 12, the provision that God made. Take a lamb and slay it. Verse 7, Exodus 12. Then they shall take some of the blood of the slain lamb and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. And then verse 13, skip down. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Church, the mark of those that would be saved, the mark of those who would be the people redeemed, were the people sheltering beneath the blood of the slain lamb. That was the only mark that saved them. That was the distinction. Not where they've come from, not, not their class, not their privilege, not their society, not their nationality, not their anything. What saved them was that they sheltered under the blood of the lamb that was God's provision for them. Friends, that was the distinction. And wherever they were in Egypt, they were a people sheltering under the blood of the slain lamb. Now, our time in Exodus We've, we've regularly reminded ourselves, and as we've walked through this, that the Old Testament, especially in Exodus, as we've seen over the, the months we've been journeying through this book, is almost this great picture book for us. 
It's a great picture book that outlines and illustrates all of these shadows of the realities that you and I get to experience as the people of God. Though they are shadows of the fulfillment to come, we are blessed by knowing the New Testament and the end of the story. And so we see these shadows now come to life in the New Testament. And here we have one of the most crucial ones in all of the history of the people of God just spelled out for us in all of its beauty and wonder. And we see it come to fulfillment in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps more than any other place, we see the crux of Jesus's ministry, that he is the fulfillment of all of these things we've been reading about right here. How do we know that? How do we know we're not just making these sort of jumps? Well, I don't know. That may be a stretch. This is not something I'm making up. The, the, the New Testament is constantly pointing us back to these stories, anchoring our hearts and minds into the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of this. How do we know? John 1.29, Jesus beginning his public ministry. John the Baptist is there, and he looks and he sees Jesus. And what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There he is. There's our Lamb of God that God has provided for us. He is the one that will cover us so that the angel of death will not come for us and we might be a redeemed people. There's the one. That's the Lamb of God. And when Paul is writing to the Christians in Corinth, he says, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Paul points us back to the institution of this moment in Exodus 12 and says, Jesus is now our Passover. Jesus is. And when Peter is speaking about Jesus, about his redeeming blood shed for us, he said, it is like the blood of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all over. So I want for us to consider Christ, our Passover lamb here this morning. And our application, just so you know, at the end of the service will be to take communion together at the Lord's table, which is the fulfillment of the feast of the Passover instituted here, that we would remember that God has provided a way for us to be with him that we would be a people sheltered under the blood of the Lamb. So I want us for the next few minutes to think on the Passover Lamb and about Christ, our great deliverer. And as we walk through this, even in Exodus, I want us to have Christ in our mind as the fulfillment of all of these things. I want us to consider that in light of the fact that for the people of Israel, that night Nothing mattered more in all of the universe for them that they should have the Lamb of God that he provided and that they should be sheltering under the blood of the Lamb that night. And friends, I want to remind us here this morning because it's so easy to forget. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in a lot of other things, even good things that distract us, that there is Nothing in all of God's universe that matters so much as this for you and I that we would be found sheltering under the blood of the Lamb. That would be our hope.
That is our redemption. That is our salvation. And we cling to him, the Lord Jesus Christ, who did it all. And so for that reason, I want us to pay close attention to what God says about this Passover lamb in Exodus chapter 12. There's four things we're going to look at um, that we see fulfilled in Christ. There's certainly more, but we're only going to look, we're going to look at four. First, the first thing we're going to look at is it tells us something very specific about the lamb itself in Exodus 12. We're told a great deal about this lamb. And it's carefully described, and this lamb is de deliberately chosen. Carefully described and deliberately chosen. It's not just any lamb. It's not just go find a lamb, and the lamb of the blood of that lamb will cover, and the angel of death will pass over. No, there's specific instruction. I think it's important that we grasp this first. The lamb must match the requirements of God. That's the first thing that we see in Exodus chapter 12, that the lamb provided must match the requirement of God. What is the requirement of God? Exodus 12 verse five, you shall, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take him from the sheep or from the goats. So your lamb shall have be without blemish. In other words, it needs to be perfect. A perfect lamb. A perfect offering with nothing in it that offends God. A perfect, spotless lamb without blemish. That is why, friends, the New Testament goes to such great lengths to tell us that Christ, our Passover lamb, is a perfect offering for the sins of men and women. He is holy, he is undefiled, he is without sin, he is without spot, he is the Lamb of God without blemish. And the importance here is that there is no other sacrifice for sin possible but the sacrifice with which God has ordained through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's seen in Exodus and it's fulfilled in Christ. The perfect, spotless lamb. That's why the Bible goes to even great lengths to tell us of Jesus' perfect life as well as his sacrificial death, just like this lamb that was appointed. His sinless moral perfection, his perfect obedience to the Father. In every stage of his life, no matter how costly the instruction and word of the Father was, Christ walked in perfect obedience to the word of the Father. You see, our Father in Exodus 12 requires a perfect offering in order to escape the judgment of death that was to befall on the land of Egypt. And our Father still requires the perfect offering so that the judgment of death would pass over you and I, that we would have eternal life. That's why there's no other offering that we can put in place of Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God. This is something, church, that we need to grasp in the deepest places of us. We need to cling to this reality. We need to cling to this truth. Let me pause for a moment right here as we've considered this and just ask this very important question. Are you crystal clear where your confidence is placed for salvation this morning? 
Is it solely and only resting on the Lamb of God? Because there is no other Lamb, there is no other sacrifice that can pay the price of sin except the one that God requires. So the requirement of God is perfect holiness, a perfect Lamb. Second thing we see in Exodus 12, this Lamb must meet the needs of God's people must meet the needs of the people. Verse 3 and 4, there's a careful counting and measuring of this. Exodus 12, 3 and 4. Tell all of the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make a count for the lamb. So the point is that the lamb uh, is not only chosen, but it will perfectly meet the needs of God's people for every household, a lamb for every household, even taking into consideration the size of that home and who's in that home. There's a careful consideration that this lamb, this provision, this perfect spotless lamb will meet the needs of God's people perfectly, exactly where they are, exactly who's in that home. Meet the needs of all of them. There's nothing left out. The Lamb of God provided in Jesus Christ for you and I, there has been nothing that has been left out. There's nothing left out of God's consideration concerning your need for a savior. It has been fully provided for you in the Lord Jesus Christ, this perfect lamb. For you, personally. All the needs you have to be saved, to be redeemed, to be looked upon by God and counted as a child of God have been perfectly met by the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Third thing we see, the lamb is not to be chosen on the night that judgment fell. So this is an interesting one. The lamb's not to be chosen in a moment of panic. The lamb's not to be chosen when, oh my goodness, let's, quick. The lamb needs to be brought into the home. The lamb needs to be brought in when they had time to consider what was in front of them. For example, verse 3, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And then down in verse 6, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now, one of the reasons, I think, obviously, is that they would bring this lamb in earlier or days before that the sacrifice was made was so that they could evaluate this lamb to make sure it was, in fact, a perfect, spotless lamb without blemish, right? But I believe there's another reason that is to be considered here, so that the people of God would be prepared for what was before them, that there might not be a rushing on the day of judgment, this, this difficult day 
They want to be caught off guard. Um, that the people of God might have all their provisions secure under the blood of this lamb provided. Now, church, just quick application. <laughs> we all lead um, almost unthinkably busy lives. I talk to many of you. The, the, the most common thing I hear from 99% of you, how are you? So busy. Exhausted busy. Flustered busy. Rushing about from one thing to the next constantly. And I know that's life, and I know that for many of us it's a season. I am guilty of it just as much as the next person of rushing about. I think we need to consider here that God doesn't want us rushing about our lives and missing the most important things in our lives. That the Lord Jesus Christ would be something precious to us, that we would have time to consider him, that we would make space, that we would consider what God says of us and him, and that we wouldn't just be rushing about or we'll get to that spiritual thing one day when my life calms down. I'll get to serving the church one day when my life calms down. I'll get to really feasting on the word of God one day when my life calms down. I'm learning that it doesn't ever calm down. We just fill it with new things. Church, um, let's all collectively maybe slow down a bit so that we might consider what God has done for us, that we might savor this one that was provided for us, that we now have life. And the New Testament says, in Jesus, life to the full. All those other things that we're rushing about trying to accomplish is not life to the full. They're not bad, evil, or wrong, but if we make those the ultimate things, they will never satisfy us. Jesus is the only one that gives us life and life to the full. Let's slow down and consider him and not wait and say one day, do not delay, church. Let's make sure now Today, we're sheltering under the blood of the lamb. That is the most important thing. The lamb that perfectly meets the requirements of God and the requirements of men and women. There's no other lamb. There's no other name. There's no other hiding place. Now, God also speaks about the blood of this lamb in Exodus chapter 12. And it's important because the blood... I know this is like, oh my gosh, this is like a, this is a heavy sermon. Well, yeah, it's, it's a heavy plague. It's the very last one, right? This is, but it's, it's a wonderful one at the same time. But the, the blood is the very significance of this lamb. Why was the lamb provided as a sacrifice? And the, the, the text tells us that the blood has even things to say, that this lamb was chosen for death. And this is what the blood signifies. It signifies life offered up sacrificially in death. And that this lamb that was provided was appointed for judgment. So that God's people would not taste judgment. Just like we read about Christ. Like a lamb led to the slaughter was Jesus. That tells us in the scriptures. 
And when this judgment went out over all of Egypt, over the firstborn that night, there was also judgment that went out to every lamb in that house, in every household. Think about that. It wasn't just judgment over Egypt, but judgment came upon the house of the people of God, but it was, it was brought down upon this lamb, this perfect, spotless lamb without blemish in every house of God's people. Blood speaks in two directions. It speaks upward to God and outward to men. It speaks to God, verse 13, Exodus 12. And when I see the blood, this is God, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So it speaks to God. I see this blood. I will pass over you. Now God's judgment and wrath and anger were going out against Egypt that night, and the sins of men that are laid bare, their worship of false gods, their idolatry, all the things is apparently turned away by the blood of this lamb that God sees. The angel of wrath and death going out over the land and the one thing, the only thing, the only hope they have is that the blood will turn God's wrath away from that home because of the shed blood of the lamb. Friends, the significance here is that Jesus, our Lord, is precisely this for you and I. The blood reaches up to the very throne of God, to the very heart of God, and he turns his wrath and his judgment against us because of our sin and rebellion, and he passes over us because of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Hebrews 12 tells us the blood of Jesus, which speaks of better things. Isn't that great? But it also speaks to men. Exodus 12, 13, and the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. It's a security. Verse 22 and 23. Take hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Touch it on the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house and strike you. It's a security for them. And while there is judgment going forth in Egypt in all of its anguish, I can't even fathom, God's people rest secure because of the blood of the Lamb. Did you notice that's where their security lies? Not in themselves, not in their own works, not in what they've done or what they've accomplished, but in what God has provided, sheltering personally under the blood of the Lamb. Friends, I think we today um, are in 
real danger of trying to find shelter in a general sense of maybe Christian tradition or maybe the Bible Belt or maybe the sort of evangelical sort of bubble that many of us operate in and talk about and it just maybe it's, it's just part of the fabric of culture, which is not bad. But if we place our hope in a general sense that I grew up in a good family and I know all the right things to say, but I've not personally taken shelter under the blood of the lamb, I'm exposed. We must personally ourselves apply this to ourselves and that is where we find our great shelter. That is where we shelter. Um, And the way it works is this, that we as a people of God and even they as the people of God in Exodus are called by faith to trust in the very promise of God and his provision. And that's still you and I today. We don't, get to, we don't make it up. We don't try to find our way. We trust in the promise of God that he has provided a way for us. And we cling to that. And that is our great hope. And God covenants with his people that he will, in fact, take the death of a slain lamb and the blood that it shed and apply it to a home as a substitute for the death of the firstborn, the plague that will befall the land. And that's God's covenant that he makes with his people. It's his promise. And that's why, if you remember all the way back to Exodus chapter 4, God calls Israel my firstborn. Isn't that interesting? They're my firstborn because I protect them. And they're sheltered under the blood of the Lamb. Um, And it's Jesus who fulfills all of this, as Isaiah tells us about Christ. In Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought peace, and by his wounds we are healed. There is judgment, you see, either on the Lamb of God or on us. And it was like that that night in Exodus 12, and it's like that for us today, that we would have Christ as our Passover. Third, he speaks about this feast of the Lamb. Exodus 12, 12, 8. And they shall eat the feast that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. The bitterness, no doubt, reminds them of the land of Egypt and the slavery that they had, uh, they had endured. In Exodus twelve fourteen, he goes on. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. This is something they were to always remember. It would be to to mark them. Throughout all your generations, as a statute forever, forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Now, this feast, as they were to engage in, you and I are to engage in also. It's the blood of the Lamb speaks to Christ to save us. 
And it also speaks the, the feast of the lamb that, that they were to take in after the shed blood would be for us Christ that strengthen us. We continue this feast, this Passover feast, and what we call the Lord's Supper or communion, where we remember what Christ did. We remember what he's done, but it goes further than just remembering. It's actually partaking in it, remembering that Christ not only paid the penalty for us and is our great sacrifice, but it's a feast that we would actually partake in it, knowing that Christ is the one that strengthens us in this life and gives us what we need to walk in faith, to honor God and one another. It's a beautiful thing. In this feast, we see the fulfillment in the Lord's table that we are going to enjoy in a few moments together. The point is this, is that the Lamb of God is of total sufficiency for God's people. Jesus actually interprets this for us. I'm not just making this up. In John 6, 55, these are some of the most bizarre things that come out of Jesus' mouth, but when you hear them in light of Exodus chapter 12, it makes perfect sense. All this goes together. John 6, 55, Jesus says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. Christ, our great Passover lamb. Yes, we look at him and praise him as our substitute, but he actually indwells within us to give us strength and power, and the Spirit of God is now our guide. Salvation is found in the body broken in the shed blood of Christ, but he is also our sustainer. He's the substance of all that we need. And so we don't just look at the elements of communion and see them, we actually partake in them. Right? Now finally, last thing. Um... The feast speaks to the life of God's the, the life that God's people are to lead. There's a strange verse that I noticed in uh, Exodus 12 or 12:11. It says this: "In this manner, talking about uh, the feast, in this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand." And you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. What? That sounds weird. So it's, it's essentially is describing taking this, uh, this Passover meal that would deliver them. It's this supper time meal where they should be sandals off, staff put up, reclining at a table. He's describing eating this meal in the evening, as if they're dressed for breakfast. This decisive act that would deliver God's people out of slavery. He would deliver them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and bring them into a new life. So the redemption that God was going to accomplish for his people that day was committing them to a life of pilgrimage. He was sending them out on mission. Get ready. When you take this feast, 
This is the monumental mark that you will be out of where you're going and you will be on a journey and I am going to lead you and I am going to show you the way and I am going to provide for you and you are going to be on a pilgrimage pilgrimage of a place that I'm going to take you and I will be your God and you are to be my people and you are going to follow me. So when he delivers them, when he saves them, he doesn't save them and plops them and keeps them right where they are. He moves them and he said, get ready, people. I'm about to do a work in your midst. So fasten your sandals, get your belt, grab your staff in your hand because the mission I am sending you on is coming. I'm not saving you to just sit where you are and occupy a place. I'm taking you to a new place. And you are committing your life to following me and it's a life of pilgrimage and it's a life of wilderness wandering at times, but it is a beautiful life. Why? Because God is with them a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, I will be with you. And he is going to lead them and he is going to provide for them. And God does the same for you and I, church. He calls us to this feast of the Passover, the communion table, Um, so that we can feast on Christ in our hearts by faith, knowing that he calls us from this place, not just to sit in here, but to go. Knowing Christ sustains you, and God leads you, and his word is a guide, and the blood of the lamb is your shelter and your safe refuge, and he has saved you, but he saved you not to keep you where you are, but so that we might be a people that would go. We'd be people on the move for his purposes, for his glory, for our good together. And we are called on this same pilgrimage to follow where he leads. And sometimes he calls us to places that seem I can't do that. But church, would we be a people that said, not my will, but yours, Father. Let's go. If you're calling me, I want to go and follow. And Lord, may your word be a lamp unto my feet, knowing that you have saved me. You can guide me. And we're on this pilgrimage together with God as our good shepherd, living a life of faith and devotion until that day when he teaches us the new song of the redeemed, when we see him face to face, when we learn to sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory and dominion and power that we read about in Revelation in the last days. That we're on this pilgrimage, so he's preparing us to just sing that song. Worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. It was all worth it. Were the road bumps? Yes. Was it hard sometimes? Yes. Was it beautiful? Yes because the blood of the lamb. Um, Church, um, let's grab our communion cups. I want us to remember Christ here. There, There should be one of these under your chair. And on one side, there's the bread. I want us to take the bread And church, uh, this bread represents 
the body of Christ that was broken for us, that hung on a cross for our redemption, for our salvation, that God provided the perfect lamb for you and for me. It doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter our family history. It doesn't matter where we grew up. It doesn't matter even what we've done. God has provided for us everything that we need in Christ so that we may be with him. This is the body of Christ broken for you, church. Let's take the body of Christ together. And on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup also, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. And the blood is what we've just been talking about. That his shed blood is now our hope for salvation and for redemption. That he shed his blood in our place so that death would pass over us. He endured it for you and I. And he, in turn, gives to us all of who he is, his sinless and perfect life, his blood applied to us now that we can stand with God counted as sons and daughters because we have sheltered under the blood of the Lamb and we do so forever into eternity. Church, let's take the blood of the new covenant, Jesus. Let's pray together, church. Lord Jesus, we, we give you honor We thank you, God, that you have provided the perfect lamb for us personally. God, who who met the exact requirements of all that you demanded for us, God. And not only that, God, he met our very personal needs perfectly to cover our sin and rebellion that we would be saved and rescued. And God, thank you that you didn't just save us and keep us where we were, but you are God that now has sent us out in obedience in this pilgrimage to proclaim the goodness and the excellencies of him who saved us out of darkness and into the light. Help us to be a people sheltering under the blood of the lamb not in any of our own confidence, but in all that he's done for us. And Lord, may you do a work in our midst to see more people come to know and worship the one true God that brings life where judgment is coming, God. You are our only shelter and refuge. May we cling to you, Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand and worship him, church.